A word for today, Lions Down's daily podcast to help you abide in Jesus by seeing to it that his word abides in you. Nothing could matter more. This isn't to replace your personal Bible reading and prayer, but rather encourage and help you in it. A little more than half of Peter's second and last epistle, his letter to the churches of his day and through God the Holy Spirit, God's message to us in our day, a little over half of that letter is dealing directly with the topic of false teachers. And that's because false teachers are Satan's main agents. They corrupt the most precious thing there is, the written word of God, which is the power of God in this world, the gospel. And that is what prevents Christians having a faith that is effective. And indeed, it can uh, allow the arising of false Christians who think they have a faith, but it's not something that's real or that's coming out from the inside. And uh, it can lead to a discipleship that is not only ineffective, but actually false. So Peter is throwing his heart into this message. He's saying, look, you must cling to the written word of God, but to do that, you've got to clock false teachers. They are what stands between you and the truth of God. And we saw yesterday that uh, the point he is now making in this next section of chapter 2, that's verses 4 to 9, is that we should stand against false teachers even though we're tempted so often to turn a blind eye, just to get a quiet life, just to avoid being marginalized and mocked and criticized and excluded. We are not to turn a blind eye to them because God hasn't turned a blind eye to them. God knows what is going on. That's what uh, this section of chapter 2 is really saying. And he is not inactive. He is doing things. So Peter is now proving this, and uh, I'm going to read from verse 4. It's Tuesday, the 2nd of February. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned. That word for spare, by the way, is the word that means to keep from doing something. It's saying that God is not inactive. He is doing something. Verse 4 goes on. But cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare that same word again, he didn't keep from inactivity. He did something. If he did not spare, verse 5, the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. There in verse 9 we have the summary, which is that God knows what's going on, and this is proved in his rescue of the godly from trials. We'll understand what that means a little later uh, this week. And to keep the unrighteous, verse 9 goes on, under punishment until the day of judgment. And it's that second part of the proof that God knows what is going on and is not inactive that we're going to look at now. And we can see that this 
is shown in the judgments that God has brought about. And Peter presents uh, three major judgments of God. The first one is in verse 4, referring to God not sparing angels when they sin. Now, this is all a little bit mysterious, but I think almost certainly what it's referring to is the pre-creation rebellion. This was where Lucifer, the light bearer, who was to become Satan, rebelled against God, and there was war in heaven, as the book of Revelation describes. And Satan and his angels, who were to become his demons, were cast out of heaven. And it's describing God's action even in that pre-creation era. And uh, it shows us that God there, uh, he cast them into hell. The word there for hell is Tartarus. Um, it's a classical word. It's not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but it describes the sunless abyss that is infinitely below the earth. Um, and it is, I think, the equivalent of Sheol, the Old Testament word, or Hades, the New Testament word. That is to say, the place of departed spirits. The place that spirits who are not destined for salvation go to, the waiting room before the judgment day that will cast them into the fiery Gehenna, the fiery hell, which is the ultimate destination of those that rebel against God. So we see there in verse 4 that God has clocked these uh, angels that rebelled against him, and he has committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, and they are being kept until the judgment at the end of time. So we see the supercosmic reach of God's uh, judgment and action here and his absolute power to take all creatures under his authority and to judge them as he wishes. Now, the second example we get is the example of what in verse 5 is described, the ancient world. Um, it's a very great sadness to me that evangelical Christians have a problem with the idea that the flood described in those early chapters of Genesis was not global. It very clearly was global according to those early chapters of Genesis, Genesis 6 and 7, um, and it was clearly global according to the way that Jesus spoke about it and according to the way that Peter speaks about it. He talks about God bringing a flood upon the world of the ungodly. This wasn't a little local difficulty in Mesopotamia. This was a global flood that completely changed the nature of our world. It moved from the antediluvian state, which is the pre-flood state, to the world that we now live in, which has a completely different uh, system, a physical system by which um, it operates. And we see there that in that ancient world, God brought about a terrible judgment. He wiped out all the air-breathing creatures of that world. And uh, yet within that, he preserved Noah. But we see there again that God's judgment wasn't just a pre-creation judgment, one of supercosmic preach and omnipotent power. It was also one that uh, judged the ancient world and destroyed that ancient world. God's judgment is very terrible and very sudden and irresistible. So that's the second aspect of, uh, or, or the second example 
of God's judgment. And tomorrow we'll come back to the third. And all this is showing us that God knows what's going on and he's active. He's not inactive. He is doing things even now. Heavenly Father, please help us to see that you are not inactive, that you are not asleep and uncaring in the situations we face. And please would that give us courage to stand up to false teachers and their teaching. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A word for today, helping you abide in Jesus by seeing to it that his word abides in you. This podcast was brought to you by Lionsdown at lionsdown.org.